It's our hope that this time together will be meaningful to you and that God is with you. And now, Pastor Jonathan Dinger as Grace is on the air. So good morning. The Lord be with you. 
So it's Thanksgiving week, one of my favorite holidays. Just love Thanksgiving. It's fabulous to be together. And then, um, so we're at the end of a, of a church year. So for some of you, some of you probably know that. Some of you maybe don't. Uh, the church has kind of a different year. Our year starts with the season that we call Advent. And Advent starts next Sunday. So this is the last Sunday of the church year. And so Advent is anticipating Christ the King coming. Our King comes. Our Messiah comes. Um, so the end of the church year is a celebration of Christ the King. So we're really delighted to be able to do that. You know, there's little, let me do a little history thing with you. So George Washington, father of the country. And uh, you learn about him in history class and so forth. So when the nation was being founded, so uh, the, we win the Revolutionary War, and England is departed, and now we got to figure out how to govern ourselves. So what do we have? What do you have? And there was a whole movement of people who wanted to make George Washington a king, wanted to crown him king. And it was, if he wanted to, he could have asked for it, and historians all say he could, he, they would have just given it to him. Uh, because he was such a significant leader at such a critical time. And it's interesting because George Washington declines that. It's one of the rarest moments in all of human history. Um, in fact, I'm kind of wishing we could have some leaders like that again. But anyway, he declines the power, he declines the position, and they end up creating this position called a president, an elected position by the people. Well, in England, the king is called is George III. And when they report this to George III, and, they, and he, he just can't believe it. It's, he's just incredulous over it. They tell him they wanted to crown Washington king, and he refused it. And he said, if that's true, he's the greatest man who ever lived. The, the, the lure of power, what we imagine kingship to be. And what's fascinating to me about it, when we talk about a king, George Washington at that time was a, a leader like we haven't seen before. But the king we worship is a king like no other throughout all of human history. And we'll talk through that because this is the final part, the culmination of some foundational things we've done, and we finish with our king, Christ who is our king. I pray that it blesses you today. We're going to stand up and uh, join our voices together in worship. Join him in singing.
great song. I love that. Church, it's such a blessing to not just be in the presence of you today, in the presence of one another, but in the presence of a wonderful king. A king truly like no other, as we'll hear later on, a king that comes down to us. A king that comes to us in this very water here today, in the water, in his word, and in baptism. And we have this wonderful blessing today to share that experience with Colette as a church. And we've had that experience together with one another. And a name will be placed upon her, the same name that was placed upon us in our baptism. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And with this great, wonderful King that has come down to us incarnate in His very own flesh to take His sins, our sins, sorry, upon Himself, we confess together a prayer of confession. Lord Jesus, we love choices. We want options, but you tell us that your only hope is in you. You declare that our only way to the Father is through you. Your word tells us that there is no other name by which we may be saved. Forgive us for grumbling and wanting more choices. Remind us that because you alone can save, we can be absolutely certain that we are saved. Help grow our trust in you alone. Amen. And indeed, to accomplish that very fact, he came incarnate. That means in flesh, in blood, for our very own sake. So we'll hear later that he can indeed empathize with us, understand us. He's had his bad days like we have as well and forgives us for our sins. So here, church, that Jesus Christ, in the mercy of Almighty God, was given for us so that we indeed would be forgiven all our sins. So I get to proclaim to you as a servant of the word in the stead and by the command of Jesus Christ that your sins are indeed forgiven in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 
Amen. Let's continue as we join our voices together for another song. words from Isaiah point so clearly to our Savior Jesus that it's hard to imagine that anyone could miss it. The Old Testament points to the Messiah and the manner in which he saves as a gift with no merit of our own. 
It is in Jesus Christ alone that these promises come true. We read from Isaiah chapter 53. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, and my, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This is the word of the Lord. Some have said that all five onlys, or solas, are contained in the first two verses of this reading. God's word lives in Christ. God's grace is poured out upon us in Christ. God's gift of faith alone clings to Christ. All of God's promises come together and find their fullness in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We read from the fifth chapter of Romans. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. This is the word of the Lord. I love that last section of that verse. God literally poured his life into us. And what a great experience as we go into the, the sermon series that's closing this week about foundations, right? These foundations we have in these solas and solo Christus over here. And it really, we get that experience here in baptism, don't we? Right? Back to the foundations, back to the water and the word and the promises of Christ who has come to save us. Because see, it's the word of God that saves. It's the word of God that is Jesus Christ. And all things were made through him. And he's continuing to bring light and life to all humanity by his grace. So please, let's stand to honor Christ and his word according to John, the first chapter. Here in John, we read, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. He was in the world, 
And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, God's grace and his mercy and his peace are yours in Jesus Christ, our Savior, Christ uh, Christ the King. And so there's a sermon outline if you'd like to look at that. This is really the conclusion of, a, of our series of sermons on foundations of the faith. And uh, as we went through the through Reformation and All Saints, we wanted to make sure we included these solas that we have depicted on, these, uh, on the banners. And so we, we conclude here with, with this one. And this is an old joke. I hope you'll still chuckle at it again. So maybe for some of you it'll be the first time you've heard it. So we like to do children's messages here. And so the pastor comes up and uh, they invite the kids forward and the kids come forward and the pastor has a box and he has a box and he says, kids, I want you to guess what I have in the box. And, and so they're all excited and he says, okay, it's brown and it's furry, has a big, long, bushy tail. It gathers nuts for the winter and it lives in a tree. What do you think it is? And the little girl shoots up her hand and he says, what do you think it is? She says, well, it really sounds like a squirrel, but since we're in church, I know the answer is Jesus. Right, so old joke. I've I've told it many times, um, and I love that joke. I love that story because it really is all about Jesus. That's why we're doing this. That's why we conclude this way. That's why it's appropriate. How cool is it that it's Christ the King Sunday? Christ triumphant. You know, we've had some some rough patches here with people going to glory. And they've stepped from here right into the arms of their Savior. They were led in joyful procession by their Savior. They were led by, uh, by, that, by that victorious Christ. Here, the church, we call it the church militant here, where we're still struggling and, and there's a battle. But there, the church triumphant and our King reigns. And so I want to, what this really is, is kind of a, a summary sermon a little bit to kind of draw these pieces together. Because really, it, it, let, me, let me do a little note for you here. A lot of times, as, you know that Lutherans were the first Protestants, right? First and best, right? Isn't that, what we, isn't that what they say about Yellowstone? First and best, right? National Park. No, I'm joking about that. Oh, that's now on the internet. This is unfortunate. Uh, anyway, um, first Protestants, at the very least, first ones, right? So we, uh, Luther and, and those Lutheran reformers were the ones that really began uh, this protesting against some abuses and some changes. And, um, and please remember, the Catholic Church did go through its own reformation sometime later, but initially there wasn't so pretty. And so people died and people were threatened and it was a battle for the faith and battle for the simplicity in many ways of the faith, the biblical faith uh, that had been layered on and layered on. And, and the Lutheran Reformation only had those three solas, those three. You'll often, if you go online, you'll see five or four, things like that. Those are additions by others. Ours are really three solas summarized in one. So our three are word alone, grace alone, faith alone. Those are the three that the Lutheran reformers championed. Those three things, 
That's what we need. And, but they would, when they would talk about it, they would summarize it together and that all these are found in Christ alone. Now, how can that be? That's what I want to just share with you. So in some ways, it's a little bit of a, of a reminder, a little bit of a summary of what we've done. But in the end, here's my point. We have those three, and they do gather together in Christ. But what does that give us? It gives us and presents before us, and I love this phrase, a king like no other. We have a king like no other. So if you follow along with me, what I want to do on this uh, first, uh, first one, sola scriptura, and the blank is, this is, this is very complicated, all our banks are very similar, uh, in Christ alone. Sola scriptura, word alone, just the word. So when I was in seminary, um, I had been out of seminary for uh, seven or eight years. Um, I had taught, and we'd lived in Japan, and you've heard lots of those stories and so forth. And then I finally went back. I, I had my executive director encouraged me and my pastor, and so I knew it was the right thing to do when my dear wife, who had, who had her perfect call, she was a wonderful youth and music minister at a, at a church we loved in Seattle, and I said, I think I need to go back to seminary. And she kind of said, I wondered when you would say that. Let's go. And she just said, let's go. So it was really, what an amazing partner in ministry. So we went back to seminary, and so I was all excited, right? You know, you're going to immerse yourself, and it's just going to be this wonderful spiritual community. It's just going to be great. Man, it was just so academic. And the reading load was intense, and the papers, and I hadn't done it for seven or eight years. I had to get back in the swing of it. And I remember I'm about halfway or three-quarters of the way through the year, and our confessions, we have a, a book of confessions that we've gathered. And the, most, the, the first one and the most straightforward is called the Augsburg Confession. And it was presented in 1530 to Emperor Charles, uh, Emperor Charles V, very devout Roman Catholic, very devout, very young, inexperienced, but very devout. And he was fervent to put down this Protestant thing. And so uh, Luther was not able to be at this historical event. And so Philip Melanchthon, who was the New Testament prof in Wittenberg, Luther was the Old Testament prof, um, they combined and built this uh, statement of faith called the Augsburg Confession. And they presented it to the emperor. It was kind of a miraculous moment. And one after the other, the demands were made on them to retract that statement or recant that statement. And each one, one after the other, said, we will not. We won't take the Bible out of the hands of our people. We won't stop sharing the sacrament in both kinds. We will not cease our preachers from preaching the gospel, you know, and so forth. And one after the other, they knelt, um, sorry, uh, before their emperor and essentially said, you can lop off my head before I give away the gospel. That's pretty amazing. I wonder, it makes you wish for leadership like that today. Right, It makes you long for that. And so it's kind of an astonishing moment that happens. And, and Luther wasn't able to be there because they'd have arrested him and killed him on the spot if they'd, if they'd have got him. And so that, that first statement as a very simple, it's a very simple, it's not a long document. It has a number of articles in it. And the fourth article of the Augsburg Confession is the one that really is the heartbeat of our faith tradition. And the first several say things that we all, everyone agrees on. The creed we just said, that kind of thing. That all Christendom, all Christianity has always said. But the fourth article, and I should have brought it in just to read it straight to you, but I know it well enough. We believe, teach, and confess 
that we are saved not by our not by works of but, but not by the works of our hands, but we are saved through Christ by faith in grace alone, through no works of our own. And they, it's a very simple statement. And I remember as I go through as I go through the uh, my classes one after the other, and I had about four or five classes, and I'm into the second semester, well into the second semester, and I remember coming into my room, and it's, we just kept studying and studying, you know, documents and so forth, but in every class, every professor just kind of relentlessly kept coming back to that article in our confession of faith. We are saved by grace through faith, with no works of our own. And so over and over, and I kind of like said, when do they think we're going to get this? Why do we talk about this all the time? Why do we keep talking about it? And as I'm talking it and saying it, it's almost as if God's Holy Spirit said to me, you're an idiot. Of course, this is what we talk about all the time. Because it is constantly being pulled away, it's constantly being distorted, it's constantly being layered over, covered up, obscured. And so this is the thing, and I will credit my seminary profs for saying that relentlessly to me. In every class, they tied every class, whether we were leading worship, or we were studying a book of the Old Testament, or we were practicing writing a sermon, or caring for people in the hospital, they always referred to this thing. This is how we're saved. And, so when, and, and it was words on a page for me for a long time. And as a pastor, it's no, it is no longer words on a page. This is our living faith. This is our living faith. Sola Scriptura, in Christ alone. And so I love this idea. So why is it when we say word alone? Because here's what we literally mean when we preached that sermon earlier. Literally, and on the face of it, we are confessing that all we need is God's word. That is all we need. All of God's promises are contained there. We don't need any other books any other writings, even our Augsburg Confession, while valuable, is not Scripture. It does not hold the authority over us that Scripture does. Only Scripture is our authority in our life. Now, here's the cool thing about it and what I want to share with you today. How does this tie to Christ alone? It's because Christ is that word come alive. It is that word in the flesh. And so, one, and so powerfully to me, I, that's why I long to simply sit at the feet of Jesus. It's why, you know, when we did the Red Letter Challenge, and I love Zach, Pastor Zach Zender, and I've teased him several times, because I said, Zach, you call it the Red Letter Challenge, but there aren't red letters every day. And, I, and he kind of, kind of just kind of ignored me and chuckled, ha-ha. And I said, no, I'm not kidding. I said, I want red letters every day. And so we added them. I mean, you may or may not have noticed that, but we made sure you had red letters every day because our Jesus, our Christ, our Savior is the Word made flesh. And so in Him alone, we find the promises of God spoken and fulfilled. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. The Word became flesh and pitched His tent, made His dwelling, chose a temporary home here with us, but from heaven above to earth He came, and He made His dwelling among us, and we have seen His glory. Isn't that amazing? We've seen His glory in the cross, in acts of service, in humility. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The second one is our sola gratia, grace alone. And again, 
on literally what we mean when we're confessing that is that it is only grace. That's that article four of our Augsburg Confession. It is only grace, only grace. We do not earn it. We don't deserve it. It is simply given to us as grace. It's a sheer gift, no strings attached, done with no conditions. All of those adjectives, all of those things which describe it, describe the way we are saved. And here's the thing. When you do a neat study in the, in the early church, so go to the letters where we get Paul and we get John, where John writes letters later, 1 John, 2 John. Peter and Paul, right away, they're confessing this thing. They are declaring to people. And Paul, in a beautiful letter to Romans, Galatians, and Ephesians, articulates this over and over again. It's just grace. Because constantly, as the church was, was making disciples, as it was going through the, Ro- the Western civilization and the Roman Empire, sharing the gospel under great persecution, under great trial, not legal for three centuries, as it is going through and sharing this, uh, this message, it is a message that confounds the people to whom they go. They cannot grasp So what do I do? So what part do I play? How do I? Give me the list. What are the things that I have to accomplish? What about my history and my past? How does they can't, it confounds them. And so it's, uh, I would encourage you to look at several, especially the letters of John. Because when John is writing, 1 John especially, when you look at 1 John especially, he's about 90 years old. So now most of his peers have passed They've been persecuted or executed. Uh, They've traveled around the globe to bring the gospel to other places. And John is still left in in the town of Ephesus. And as John writes his letter to the church, here is the fundamental thing he is still championing. So Paul and Peter had done this early in the history of the church. Because remember the big argument in the church was how Jewish do you have to be to be a Christian? And so they were making all kinds of rules. And Paul just, you know, pops a gasket and comes unglued. And Peter really does too in a different way. But because I love what Peter says, why would we impose all these rules of the law on these Gentiles who, don't, who aren't Jewish? We couldn't even do it. And we're Jewish. We couldn't do it. So why would we impose that on them? And then Paul, who just relentlessly says, we are not saved by works of the law, but simply by grace. But it's John, even 60 years later, is still writing about this because you know what's happening in the church as he's addressing it? People are coming in and saying this simple thing. Jesus is not enough. Jesus is not enough. This is a challenge. I think this is always important for us to examine our own faith. Do we imagine that our faith and our salvation is, is, is dependent upon Jesus plus something? Jesus plus my faithfulness in church. Jesus plus my generosity. Jesus plus I pray for others. Jesus plus. If, I, if those are the things that make me whole, those are the things that make me saved, then we have tarnished, diminished, and pulled away from the glory which is rightly due Jesus Christ alone. And so we are relentless in saying that in grace alone, it is Christ alone. Because Christ alone is the source of grace. In our source, it's broken, it's damaged, it's distorted, and it is therefore in any, in singularly unable to be good enough. As Isaiah the prophet says to us, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and this line is the one, 
The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And it's by his wounds. Remember the old one? That's his stripes. We are healed. And Paul echoes that. He echoes that in a different way. Um, for all have sinned. And then I put this in parentheses. And therefore all, right? All have sinned. And all are justified. If you're in Christ, you've been justified, declared not guilty, declared innocent before God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came for Christ, from Christ Jesus. Here's the great word. There are even still some traditions that teach that Jesus Christ did not die for all people. Christ died for all. He died once for all, the author of Hebrews tells us. And so we long that all people who have been purchased, won back, and redeemed by the gracious outpouring of, God, of Christ's love would know that grace as we know it, who would receive that grace. It's already been paid for, already been done. And that's why it's grace. If he hadn't died for everyone, then what does that person have to do to then get that which Christ has already paid for? The bill is already paid for. So that's the second one in which it's Christ alone. The third one, faith alone. You know, Jesus is um, Jesus rarely referred to as a king during his earthly ministry. I did a little study on this, and Aaron helped me. He corrected me on one and showed me there are three times uh, in Jesus' uh, earthly life where he is called a king. One of them almost kind of by mistake. One of them kind of ignorantly, one of them completely. Let me give you the three scenarios. Jesus is first called a king by the wise men. We'll, ce we'll celebrate that here in a, you know, it'll be a month and a half or so. We'll, we'll celebrate that on Epiphany. When the wise men come, remember, they come to Jerusalem, and all Jerusalem is troubled, and Herod, and they have a meeting with Herod, and remember what they say? Where is he? who is born king of the Jews. And they, we've seen his star in the east. We've come to worship him. And so um, they acknowledge, based on their study and on sacred texts that they had available to them, that in the Jewish scriptures, in the, the Hebrew scriptures, there is foretelling of a king of their nation, a great king, a greater king, a fulfilled king. And so they seek him. Now, they don't know what he looks like. They were probably just, they were probably just stunned when they found the circumstances under which they found this king. And, you know, either whether he's in the stable, probably not, says he came to a house. And so whether that was the next day or the next week or a year or two later, it's very difficult to be able to know that exactly. But when they come, this is a peasant couple in humble surroundings with their um, under, under uh, questionable birth circumstances. They were probably just unexpected. They did not expect that. The second one who calls Jesus the king is Nathaniel. Thanks, Aaron. And so when they come to Nathaniel, I think it's Andrew, isn't it? Andrew comes to him. Andrew's the first disciple, really. And he comes to um, Nathaniel and, um, and he says, hey, we found the Messiah. And, you know, it's, who is it? Well, it's Jesus of Nazareth, right? And Nathaniel kind of goes, Nazareth. You know, it's like, forgive me, income. You know, can anything good come from income? You know, can anything good come from Nazareth? It was in Galilee. It was up north. It was not Jerusalem. It was not the metropolitan area. It was not the, the heartbeat and center of their faith. And so they says, and you know what he says, come and see. 
And so Nathaniel goes with him and sees him. And then just, just a great line. Jesus, oh, there's a righteous dude. You are a righteous man. You know, and you are you're one of the great children of Israel. How do you know me, Lord? I saw you when you were sitting under the tree mocking me. <laughs> he doesn't say that, but I mean, I saw you when you were sitting under the tree. And so he's, Nathaniel is just blown away. His eyes get wide, and he said, you are the king of Israel. So he doesn't really quite know what that means. It certainly was not his expectation. But the third one is the one that's most powerful for me, and it's just very moving for me. You know the third one who acknowledges him as king? Comes at Jesus' crucifixion. And it comes from the least likely of sources. And so the one who confesses him as king is one of the two thieves on the cross. Remember what he says to Jesus? After mocking him and coming to his senses and chastising the other criminal, he says, we're being, we're being executed because we deserve it, but this guy doesn't. And then he turns to Jesus and says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, I don't know about you, but how in the world can that guy see a king hanging next to him? Mocked, spit upon, beaten, breathing his last breaths, labored along with them, rejected, abandoned, no one there to support him. How does he see a king? Is it the crown he wears? I think not. But in that crown and in that person hanging next to him, he saw his Savior. He saw his king. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's why it ties to this, uh, this one. Faith alone. The first two weren't really statements of faith, to be honest. The wise men had done their research. Nathaniel got blown away by a, by a kind of a parlor trick or a miracle. But the thief on the cross, it's only faith that sees Jesus like that. It's only faith that sees in that crucified person, that crucified Savior, a king. Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And I love Jesus' own words. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned he has crossed over from death to life. Here's a neat little story uh, from England again. This is another George, not George III, revolutionary era, but George V. And George V was a humble man. I mean, all those kings, you know, were all interrelated to other kings and queens and so forth, the czars of Russia and kings in Western Europe and so forth. And George V was kind of a, a more soft-spoken man. And there was a little boy in a hospital who was, who was dying. And he was really struggling and he didn't think he had much hope. And the nurses came to him and said, you're going to get a visit from the king. And it just perked him up and he got so excited. And his family came and they knew the day when the king was coming. And they often had visitors who kind of came through to visit other patients and so forth. And so they got dressed up. They got into their very best clothes, and then he was sitting there. He's just so excited, and, and kind of group after group went by, and one group spoke to them, and another one spoke to them, and another one, there was an older man who kind of patted his head and sat on the bed next to him and asked him how he was and chatted and then went on. And, and then um, all of a sudden, there was no one left, and the little boy said, well, where was the king? 
And, he's, and the nurses said to him, he sat there with you and he patted you on the head and he visited with you and asked about your family and how you were doing. And he said, I missed him. How did I miss him? And the nurses said, I don't know how you missed him. He said, he wasn't wearing a crown. And our Jesus doesn't come wearing a crown. And so therefore, it's only faith that puts its trust in Christ alone. Because it makes no sense to the world in which we live. The world in which we live, in which what I have to contribute, what I have to do, instead of clinging fiercely, passionately, relentlessly, simply to the Christ who wears, who doesn't simply not wear a crown, but delivers that crown to us and makes us uh, uh, kings and princes beside him. The fourth thing I want to say then is, therefore, in those three, in Christ we have the word made flesh. In Christ we have the complete and only and sole source and origin and spring of grace, the only fountain from which we can drink. And faith only clings to Christ. But fourth is this, in Christ alone we have a king like no other. You know, this dates the movie industry quite a lot, but I, I'm pretty sure it was like Superman 2. Warner Brothers was still doing the Superman movies then. And you know what movie companies used to do? I'm old enough and been in ministry long enough to remember this. Even secular movies, movie companies would send out uh, notes if they felt they had a movie which kind of hit certain values to pastors. And they would give you certain notes on, hey, here's how you might be able to use this to discuss points with your uh, different elements of the movie with your parishioners. And, and they would even give guided questions and stuff. And I know they had some Christians that were involved in this, people of faith that were involved. And sometimes they were kind of goofy and, and really kind of weird. Um, but I love to be able to stop and look at it. But it, was, it this tells you how much the movie industry has changed. Because this, was, this has now got to be, gosh, 25 or 30 years ago. Because there was one on the, one of the Superman movies that essentially had a discussion guide of, for you of faith, how, how, what kind of mission did he have? What kind of mission did Jesus have? Was Jesus a person who worked miracles and did things no one other person could do and so forth? It's really kind of a fascinating kind of story. But what's interesting about this is, is that how inadequate, right, to talk about Superman and compare him to Jesus Christ. I mean, maybe a superhero is a good thing. I mean, you certainly don't want a Savior who's less than a superhero. But we need a Savior who is far more than a superhero, a comic book figure, something that exists only in fiction. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, says the author of Hebrews. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. And I love this. He was tempted in every way just like you. And so when you come to the Lord and you say, I had a horrible day. Do you know what that's like, Jesus? Yeah, I've had a few of those. Jesus, I had my friends. They turned their backs on me. Do you know what that's like? Yeah, I got that too. I went through surgery and my recovery is terrible. I can't manage the pain. Do you know what that's like? Yeah, I got you. Do you know what it's like to be injured? Do you know what it's like to be alone? Do you know what it's like to be isolated? Do you know what it's like to have the very people you love turn their back on you? And he says, yes, I know. We have a king like no other. I shared this with my life in Christ class, and I don't always articulate it this way, but out of all faith systems in the world, Christianity, Orthodox, traditional, classic Christianity is unique. All other faith systems 
give their attendees, their constituents, a task to attain to godliness. In Christianity, we have a God who went to humanity, who bent so low. And as you come to the table today, he bends so low to meet us kneeling sinners and loves to bless us with his grace. By his hand, by his love, we have a king like no other, a king who bends low to lift us up, to lift us with him. To Christ be the glory, now and always. Amen. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my life, my strength, my song. His cornerstone is solid ground. Firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are still, when striving seas, my comforter. together in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you today, a king like no other, 
who knelt down and laid his life on the cross for us, his very own blood, his precious blood, which bought us back. Lord, you've gathered these people here today. You've gathered your church here today, and you've gathered everyone online to proclaim this message to all those who need to hear it. Thank you for such a wonderful love and that we can indeed bring our prayers to you. First, Lord, we bring before you a prayer of thanksgiving for the Chaddock family and lovely Colette. Just this wonderful opportunity to be together, to be your family, the adopted sons and daughters brought into the family of God. What a great gift that, Lord, you reach out to us and give you your great love and bring us into the fold. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, we bring before you those in need of healing. For Judy and her surgery, which was successful last week Thursday, allow her to continue to heal. And Lord, wonderful news about Melissa, Kelly, and Michael, who have been um, in the ICU with COVID, that they are coming around. And Lord, we ask you to give all of the people in the medical profession that are serving in our overwhelmed um, capacity at the hospitals to give them strength, to give them your love, to grant them your peace, your wholeness, that you are indeed alongside them. Lord, make your presence known to them, but also to Michael, Melissa, um, and Kelly as they, they struggle and they recover, and also for Judy as she recovers as well. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Lord, we're grateful and thankful for this wonderful season of Advent that starts next week as we anticipate, Lord, you who came incarnate in the very flesh and body so you can indeed empathize with us, so you could indeed take our sins upon yourself and indeed pay for them with your very own life. As we celebrate the season of your coming for our own sake, we ask you to protect all of us here, not just in the church, but within the community from, from illness, from, from disease, as all these wonderful busy seasons come upon us. Allow us to keep in perspective the great gift of your very own Son who came for us this wonderful season. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. And Lord, we thank you for next week and this time to gather with families. Please protect everyone who's traveling. Keep everyone safe. Um, keep everyone healthy and well. And Lord, for those um, that need the extra grace required as they gather with families, we ask you to be present with them, to grant them peace. And so we can grant one another love within either families by blood or families by choice for those that are gathering within friends. We ask you, Lord, to, to bring our hearts to you to see you in gratitude and be truly thankful for what you've given to us through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. As all God's people said, amen. Please, if we would hold our hands out as we receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And the people took the blessing and held it in their hearts. Go in peace and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please raise our voices as we close with this final song. It's a song of the redeemed rising from the earth It's the song of the forgiven Drowning out the Amazon rain The song of Asian believers Filled with God's holy fire 
It's every tribe, every tongue, every nation A love song born of a grateful choir It's all about children singing glory, glory Hallelujah, he reigns He reigns It's all about children singing glory, glory Hallelujah, he reigns He reigns Let it rise above the four winds Caught up in the heavenly sound Their praises echo from the towers of cathedrals To the faithful gathered Underground of all the songs sung from the dawn of creation, some are one meant to possess. Of all the bells rung from a thousand steeples, none rings truer than this. It's all about children singing glory, glory, hallelujah, he reigns. It's all about children singing glory, glory, hallelujah, he reigns, he reigns. And all the powers of darkness tremble at what they just heard. Cause all the powers of darkness can't drown out a single word. It's all about children sing our glory, glory, hallelujah, he reigns, he reigns. It's all about children sing our glory, glory, hallelujah, he reigns, he reigns, glory, 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 hallelujah. All our children sing our glory, glory, hallelujah, he reigns, he reigns. All our children sing our glory, glory, hallelujah, he reigns. We invite you to join us for worship at Grace each Sunday morning at 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m. It's our hope that our time together has been meaningful to you. We'll be back on the air next Sunday from 10 to 11, right here on 92.1 FM and AM 590. Until then, may God bless you. All the powers of darkness tremble at what they just heard. Cause all the powers of darkness can't drown out a single word. When all our children sing our glory, glory, hallelujah, he reigns, he reigns. When all our children sing our glory, glory, Hallelujah, he reigns, he reigns, all the children sing out, glory, glory, hallelujah, he reigns, all the children sing out, glory, glory, hallelujah, he reigns, he reigns, all the children sing out, glory, glory, 
Hallelujah